Hello, everyone. Redcoat here. Sanchi here also. And uh, we got another podcast for you. We are going to be talking about world arrangements today. Yes. This is an interesting topic because it's not about level design. It's about, I guess you could say world design, but it's how is your world put together? You can break most game worlds into levels. And this is a topic focused on how do you arrange those levels? Yeah, it's the idea of whenever you present your player with, let's say, the playground that they're going to be playing in, you have a very important decision that can often get glossed over, which is specifically, how are you going to give it to them? In what ways are you going to give it to them? How are they going to um, discover it, basically? Yeah. One of the big impacts of world arrangement is how the player is directed through the game and how much you try to specifically direct them in specific directions and how much you say, find a direction to go and how much handholding you do in that process. For example, one of the arrangements that we've identified, because it's pretty obvious, is what we refer to as staged. This is the idea of you play through a level, it ends, you go to a new level. Mm-hmm. Think Mario Brothers, Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog. Hedgehog, a lot of the like uh, old school NES games. Well, a lot of DMC games. games too. Yeah, they are staged. Um, uh, the Castlevania Lords of Shadow, the first one, did this also. Where it's like, here's a stage. You enter it. You go through it. You come out. And so it works on this very directed experience. You can't pick the wrong level to do. You can maybe go back to an old one, but yeah. you have one new path. Always just one new path of the next level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that serves to do different ways of uh, motivating your player. So when looking at this concept of world arrangement, the first question is, why must you think about this? W- what is it really that this does? Well, it gives you the difference between, uh, say, a Castlevania experience. Hmm like what they did with Castlevania Lords of Shadow 2, and the more God of War-esque, DMC-esque experience that you had with, say, Castlevania Lords of Shadow 1, where it no longer quite felt like... A Castlevania game. A Castlevania game, yeah, because it was a genre mismatch. Indeed. There you go, guys. That stuff all ties together. (laughs) But, yeah, that's the thing, is your methods of selecting the world very much determine a lot about how you receive the experience. Because think to, for those of you that remember it, and there is an anniversary collection out, so you can learn about these games even now, think to the Mega Man series. What is one of the most defining elements of this game? Most people will state that after they push the start button, they see it. It's that boss select screen. Who are you going to fight? And that's that's how you encounter the worlds. That's what you do. And that is very core to the feel of a Mega Man game. A Mega Man game, without the freedom to choose where you want to go, is at least not classic Mega Man. Yeah. You might have enough, because it's probably more framing. Yeah. A lot of world arrangement is more framing than it is uh, foundational. And this is very true, because, um, for instance, Mega Man Legends is very, very close to getting out of the box that the Mega Man games are in, but you still do shoot things. You don't jump as much, but you still do shoot things, and you still have the customizable weapons. Yeah, or as another example, uh, Demon's Souls still has a Souls-like experience despite having a world arrangement that's more like a staged one. Yes, and so getting back from there, some of the other um, arrangements that we've actually encountered 
Yeah, so we did a lot of discussion about this. We may not have, say, identified everything, mm-hmm. but they're staged, uh, which I mentioned earlier, which is very common. A lot of more linear games will follow this. Um, stuff that have more linear campaigns are going to present it in a staged way. Mm-hmm. They might hand wave it a little bit. Say Portal uses those weird elevator thingies. Yeah. Um, but that's clearly staged. 007 even did that. It's very much, here's the stage, here's the next one. Yeah. If you want to get to this next stage, you need to get through this one first. This is what you finish your plate. Then we'll give you some more food. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, sometimes they can make it a little less transparent. Mm-hmm. Like, you might not select the next level. It might not go to, like, an end screen. But when you're in a level, you're not really going back to a previous one. You just kind of keep going. Yeah. And you're very much broken up in terms of where back goes or what back means uh so staged is is definitely one of the more common ones uh so then we kind of really enter into the variants on open world yeah we have one of the ones that uh we've hit a little bit in previous things as well is the segregated open world in particular yeah so this is an open world uh that you can kind of explore how you want but it's very clearly split up into very distinct zones the way to get from one to another is through some sort of transition Uh, a cinematic one is very common Uh, There may or may not be shortcuts between zones. This is one of those sort of gray areas where it's a little hard to define exactly what this is, but you'll have more of a defined entrance into the world. Yeah. Right? Where it feels like this is the way that you're supposed to get into the level. And then you might have, say, something that feels like a secret back corridor that (gasps) brings you out in another zone. Uh, A very good example of this is Metroid Fusion. Mm-hmm. where you have that sort of overworld area that's one of these sort of zones and then you have the different elevators down you have the six different yeah. capsules around the space station yeah for those that haven't played it, it takes place in a space station with capsules that you go into and they each represent a different biome and as you get through the game you find ways of getting from one to another but it feels like very backdoory and very sneaky and stuff yeah and that's a segregated world a lot of metroid games have kind of a more of a segregated world feel where it's like here's an elevator this is your transition from say uh the overworld area into norfair excuse my not having played super metroid because i played fusion first and couldn't get past the controls <laughs> um, right. so you have these different sort of very defined transitions or uh, metroid prime also has these very strongly yeah it's like here's an elevator ride here's a completely different zone it's not staged yeah. You, you can go back and it's still considered like more of a contiguous experience. It's not split up as much as a staged game yeah. is, but the world is very split. Yeah. The world itself is still very segregated. It's not a thing of where you're, you're half expecting to just show up in another part of the world randomly because you wandered off the beaten path a little bit. Yeah. Technically, I guess Demon's Souls is more of a segregated world than a staged one. Yeah, I would think that, because you still have the ability to choose the different places you go to Yeah, at pretty much any time. It's just that those places themselves, they don't really overlap with each other. And following that, and maybe we should have talked about this one first, but hey, notes have an order, is the open world. Yeah, the open world, and this is something that I think a lot of uh, contemporary gamers are pretty familiar with. It's the world that is just, it's open, it's really explorable, where you go is completely your decision it may be broken into distinct regions but that's more for asset management than necessarily for player 
management. Yeah. So this isn't actually quite like we have enough subcategories. This isn't quite as common as you'd think. Guild Wars Prophecies is very much this, mm -hmm. where for the most part, you can wander from one end of the map to the other with the only caveat being that you might find it a little challenging not to get the giant positive experience that you get from missions, mm -hmm. but you can travel from explorable zone to explorable zone without the need to do missions to advance. Um, that's as close to a truly open world. And the reason why I say that is because we have this concept called an instanced open world. Yeah, and that, now that I think of it, I did make a mistake when I spoke before because the instanced open world is actually closer to the thing that most people have encountered because yeah. Grand Theft Auto is actually this. Yeah, so to describe it, there are like missions or story segments or whatnot that take place in instances of the open world. That means it's a, a map area you've been before, but the way that they're handling it is different from normal if you just visit there outside of this instance. Yeah, basically you enter into a section and if you just wander into there normally, people are just kind of walking by, doing their thing. But if you enter in there for a mission of some sort, you'll notice things have changed. There are traffic cones just randomly there. And there's a fire and somebody's shooting at you. And this won't happen to you normally. This will only happen in that mission. Yeah. Uh, another example in Saints Row, mm -hmm. you have the accident things where you're trying to rack up dollars for people crashing into you. Mm -hmm. Those are very much so an instance. That's not normally how the game works, and it changes it a lot. But it's the same area. Assassin's Creed's also work in this, where you have specific assassinations. That guy's not usually there until you're doing that mission. Mm -hmm. And then the map works differently. You have different sorts of barriers. But it's the same area. You can go visit it normally. Mm -hmm. So this is something that people are going to be very familiar with. Um, but it is a separate thing from just an open world, which you don't encounter very much. Mm -hmm. And then we have a concept of the gated open world. The idea here is you can kind of explore how you want to a point, but there's explicit gates. It's you cannot go through here until you open this gate. Now, gates might be actual gates, things where you need keys, or they might be like a boss you have to beat. It's just there's some sort of barrier that must be overcome to gain access to another zone. The Dark Souls games themselves work off of this method. Yeah. Um, other games also, Guild Wars Factions more works this way, mm -hmm. where you have to beat specific missions to be able to get to new zones. Yeah. Uh, Legend of Zelda games they... can often fall into this category. Yeah, they can, because you get into kind of an arrangement and you need to go to the zone and do the thing. Yeah, but there's there's a lot of games, um, Legend of Zelda games and Metroid games, to some extent, uh, Metroid games more fall into the segregated open world, but that also fall into something that we call the guided open world, which is a relative to the gated open world. Um, the difference here is that it presents the illusion of an open world by implicitly blocking the path. So instead of explicitly, it's implicit. So it leads to more of a guided experience without feeling quite as guided. Mm -hmm. So... It gives you this illusion that you're yeah. free to go anywhere, but you're really not. Um, so you need to acquire specific tools or keys or other things to open these paths. So in Legend of Zelda, for example, you might encounter an area where you're like, I want to get through here, but I'm going to burn up without the red tunic. Yeah. Right? You're not explicitly barred from that area, but the mechanics say, you're not supposed to go here yet. Same sort of thing with a Varia suit with, with some Metroid games. Yeah. Um, there can be some overlap with some of these concepts. Almost uh, definitely. Clearly. 
but uh, it's this idea it's, that the, yeah. the gates that you have to pass through are implicitly presented rather than explicitly. Yeah, it's as the interior said, it's the idea that whenever you are unable to go through somewhere, it is because the means that is stopping you from going there is obfuscated in some way. Well, maybe not necessarily obfuscated, but it's in that way where it's not just specifically the game saying, you can't go here. It's more that something is happening, you need to find the thing to deal with that. Mm -hmm. A good way of trying to identify some of this is if you can't run through to get to it, mm -hmm. there's some sort of barrier. Like if you need to defeat a specific enemy that's serving as a barrier. So that might be more of an explicit gate. If you need a particular item to be able to progress through the area, then that's more of an implicit barrier. Yeah, because um, you've discovered the thing. You're not quite sure how to deal with it, though. Yeah, so if it's a thing like, here's grapple points, Yeah, for example. Uh, so just sort of these ways, with, with, with these open worlds in particular, you need ways of being able to guide the player's experience. The more open you make it, the harder it is for people to figure out where to go, and that can leave some players feeling very lost, and it can be very detrimental to their experience. And just kind of identifying how much are you guiding and directing the player. Mm -hmm. uh, I know we use these a lot, but the Dark Souls games actually are an interesting series of examples on this. Yeah, Most players will agree Dark Souls 1 gives you the most afforded options of where to go just off the bat, right from the start of the game. As soon as you leave the asylum, anyway. Yeah. If you look at it, you're like, okay, I'm in Firelink Shrine. I can go up this direction that leads me to the uh, Undead Burg. I can go off this other direction that leads down into the New Londo Ruins. I can go from there out to the Valley of the Drakes and go to the forest or to Blight Town. Mm -hmm. There are a ton of different directions that you can go. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit kind of ambiguous about which way is the correct way, especially since it's so much easier to find the graveyard, which is also right there. Yeah, it. It, and tends to wreck people. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was my first death in that game. <laughs> Skeletons. Skeletons. Yep. But when you look at the second one, uh, Dark Souls 2, they've narrowed your options down that are immediately obvious. You have a pit that when you try to jump down, you die from fall damage. Mm -hmm. You have a statue you can't get past. Yeah. And then you have the route that leads out to Hyde's Tower of Flame. And you have the route that leads to the Forest uh, of Fallen Giants. So they're very intentionally directing you to these particular paths. And the other ones are there, but you have to kind of know what you're doing to get through them, particularly early in the game. Mm -hmm. And so they've narrowed down the paths again. And I think part of the reason they did that was to provide a more directed experience for the players because, for one thing, their player base was expanding. Yeah. And they're running into a lot of issues with people who would maybe really like the game, but just feel really frustrated with not feeling like they know where to go. Yeah. And so when you design something to have a more direct experience, it reduces that frustration. So then we'll look at Dark Souls 3. Dark Souls 3 is the most linearly laid out world of all of them. Mm -hmm. You start off going through Lothric, and technically there's a branch here. If you want to kill Emma, yeah. you can, and you can kind of get a bit of a side path that way. But you go down the intended path, and what most players are going to do, because most players aren't going to kill a friendly NPC, generally speaking, and if they are, they're probably not beating that boss, you continue down the Undead Settlement. That very much so directs you on one path down into the Road of Sacrifices, into the Crucifixion Woods. Yeah. And there you have a bit of a choice of whether or not you go after the uh, the Crystal the Sage yeah. or into the the Swamp. Yeah. 
but those are both kind of linear paths. There's a couple of loops off of them, but they're both fairly linear paths, and when one ends, the other picks up. Picks up where it left yeah. off. Um, and until eventually you, you follow this same path. So it's a much more linear, much more directed experience, again, than even Dark Souls 2 was. Yeah. And, and I think this is a very intentional decision on the part of the developer, on, on the part of From Software, of saying, we want the player to be able to focus on enjoying the game and not on where to go. Yeah. Now, there's going to be a lot of people who are like, I really liked the way that the world arrangement of Dark Souls 1 was handled. I really liked it myself, personally. Mm -hmm. And I would have liked even more interconnectedness. But the problem that comes with a more interconnected world is it becomes a lot more complicated for the player to figure out, where should I go? What am I trying to do? Yeah. Uh, this is something that people could potentially run into a Skyrim, for example, which is a very open-ended experience. Yeah. One of the problems that I have with it is I don't feel a sense of direction of where should I go. Yeah. And that's part of what level design is about, is figuring out how are you going to direct your player on their experience with the game? How much do you want to direct that experience? Yeah. How much is important? How heavy-handed are you going to be? Are you going to be more subtle? Are you going to say, okay, well, we're going to make you think you can go this way, but you really need this item, and there's not really a way to get through here. Well, that can be a little frustrating if players spend a lot of time trying to get through there without the item. Yeah. Or are you going to explicitly put, here's a door. It is locked. Here's Sen's Fortress. There's a guy sitting outside who's like, yeah, it don't open. And you're like, yep, it don't open. And eventually you show the player, now we've opened it for you. But yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot in, in how how are you handling this. Yeah, it's definitely something that shifts and changes the player's uh, interaction with the game. And certainly this is something that derives out of your world arrangement, how you're going to present the game. Uh, moreover, one could say that uh, in your decisions about how much freedom you're going to afford to the player, where you're going to give the player that freedom, because that makes me think of something like Katamari Damacy, where mm, sure. it's, it's a very staged game, but the stages themselves are very free. Um, where inside of the stage, you basically, you have a little ball and you just roll up whatever you want and just try and roll up as many things. And the game's just kind of about how many things can you roll up? What do you decide to roll up? When do you decide to roll up? But the, the levels themselves are very staged. And so these decisions of where, where are you going to give the player the freedom? Um, and if you don't give the player the freedom, um, ideally it's because you're guiding them in such a way that this enriches their experience and shows them how to play your game in a fun way. Yeah. And, and the other the final thing is, this is a mechanic. World arrangement is a mechanic just as level design is. Yeah. And it's important to make sure that it is working with an Arvisod towards the themes of your game. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that about closes it up for this one. Again, the statement is uh, world arrangement, how you present your levels, how you give your player access to your different areas of your game um, is very important. It changes a lot about how you play, how you experience, and how you see it. Yeah. So with that, I think we're going to go ahead and head to the sign-off. Alrighty. If you enjoyed my rambling today, I think uh, you'll like, like next week. I'm going to next week talk about a lot of my uh, gaming influences, and uh, I hope Redcoat has some interesting questions to make that not just monosientier. I'll so, try. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Yeah, that's right. We're going to sign off, so Sienter. Signing off. And Redcoat. Signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.